welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us now. Here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, what a joy to be with you today. It's always an honor to pray for you and to pray with you and to know that you pray for me and that we have challenges that we face and and uh, problems that we confront on a regular basis, but we can bring those to Him. And that's what worship allows us to do, come into the presence of God and recognize that He is available to us. Well, I've got something I want to share with you today, something kind of special that, uh, that I, I want to share with you. This is an Olympic torch. Um, it was carried in the 2002 Olympics when it was in Salt Lake City uh, here in the United States. And um, it was carried by a person who is a part of our church, uh, an individual by the name of Ernie Smart. And many of you know Ernie. Um, Ernie has been working in our children's ministry for, for just about right at 100 years now. Uh, actually about 35 years he's been working with, with our youth and uh, challenging them, encouraging them, and discipling them in the things of God. And, and in 2002, Ernie had the amazing honor uh, to be able to become one of the torchbearers for um, the Olympic torch. You know that the Olympic flame is lit in Olympia, Greece, and then is transferred to a torch, and that torch is carried literally all over the globe until it finally arrives at its destination wherever the games are being played, and that final handoff happens, and the torchbearer brings and lights that official cauldron at the Olympic Games. Um, the torch certainly represents something much larger than this. It represents um, victory and triumph and, and uh, competition of the games and, and recognizes so much. Um, but the concept of the passing of the torch happened um, long before this became a tradition. Um, the, the carrying of the Olympic torch started back in the 1930s. But long before that, the phrase, pass the torch, carried a deeper ideal. The concept that, that we are passing to another generation something of great value and it now becomes their responsibility to carry that torch and to pass it to yet another generation. In our study, in the series of messages called Victory, Our New Normal, we have been walking through the book of Joshua and we finally made our way to the end, to the last two chapters. If you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter 23. And in chapter 23, Joshua gathers the elders and judges and officials and leaders together, and he's about to pass the torch. They had been in the promised land for 
some 15 to 20 years now. It had been 15 or 20 years since they had crossed over the Jordan. They had seen God go before them and drive out the enemy. They had defeated all of the major fortified cities of the area. The land had been divided among the tribes. And though warfare continued, it was now on a tribal level as we talked about last time we were together. And Joshua now comes to the end of his days. And what's really interesting is that when he comes to the end of his life, he's not really concerned about himself. He's concerned about the nation of Israel. He's concerned about their future and about their willingness to embrace and continue in the purposes of God. So he gathers his leaders together and he challenges them and he encourages them and he motivates them as he literally passes the torch. He's almost done. He's almost finished. And if God's purpose was to continue among his people, well, they're going to have to step up. His message is simple. It's up to you now. I'm done. And I want to look at those last words and the challenges and the motivations that he offers because I believe that there is here a charge for us as well. We've already looked at a portion of chapter 23 together and we've kind of gleaned from those words that Joshua offered a, a challenge that he gives us. But I want to dig a little deeper today and, and I want to look at the entire chapter and focus our attention on what it means to pass the torch and what it means to receive that and to live so that we can pass that torch to those who follow. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter 23. And let's just read the chapter in its entirety together, recognizing that Joshua now at the end of his days has gathered the leaders together. He offers these words. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side and Joshua was old and advanced in years that Joshua called for all Israel, for the elders and their heads and their judges and their officers and he said to them, I am old and advanced in years and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done in all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God had promised. So even when it says that there was rest from war, that phrase is describing the fact that the nation of Israel as a whole, as one army, had defeated all of the major fortified cities. Now there were enemies that remained in individual villages within the allotment of each of the tribes, 
And so Joshua challenges them to drive out those enemies from among you, just as God demands. Verse 6, be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the law of the book of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them but you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day for the Lord is driven out great and strong nations before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to fight a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations... These will remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. And they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off the good land which the Lord your God has given you when you transgress the covenant of the Lord which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. In this passage of scripture, Joshua offers a great word of challenge and motivation and encouragement to the nation as he comes to the end of his life. Recognizing that, that he's done as a leader, his concern for them becomes clear. And if we really look at the entire text, there, there are three things that kind of summarize the focus that Joshua offers to the people and the challenge that he gives them. It's his way of saying, hey guys, you and I have seen God work, and if we want to continue to see God work, we have seen God bring victory, and if you want to continue to see God bring victory, We've seen God answer prayer and do phenomenal things, but if you want to continue to see that, these three things are absolutely critical. As your leader, these are the three things that I held to that enabled us to accomplish what we were able to accomplish. 
It's as if Joshua kind of looks back over his shoulder and says, let me tell you the secret to my leadership. These are the three things that sustain us. This is the path to victory. Now, what's amazing is that there's nothing new here. In fact, the further we get in the book of Joshua, the more we recognize that every chapter is just a repeat of the chapter before. Over and over and over and over again, God says the same thing. And he says the same thing over and over and over again because somehow we miss it. And somehow we just don't get it. And somehow we think we can arrive at this place called victory without walking the path that leads there. And so he reminds us again that, guys, this is the way that you're going to have victory in your life. So as we kind of bring our whole series of messages to a close today and next week, um, I just want to remind you of these three things that we've learned all the way through our study. It's imperative that we do this and that this becomes a part of our life because if it doesn't become a part of your life, then you'll never know this daily victory that God has made available to us. So let's look at it. First of all, in the first five verses, Joshua does the one thing that he does over and over again. He reminds us that if we're to walk in victory, and if we're to pass the torch and receive the torch and pass it, and as he passes it, he says, guys, you've got to focus on God's way. Never forget what God has done. Over and over, you find him saying, don't forget. I mean, as soon as they cross over the Jordan before the waters are ever brought back, while the land is still dry, God instructs Joshua to send someone from each of the 12 tribes into the middle of that, that, that trail across the Jordan and pick up rocks and bring it and pile it up as a memorial so that they will never forget. And all of the battles that we have seen them fight, they would return after having success or after having that defeat. They returned to Gilgal and in the very center of that area where they returned was this pile of stones reminding them that God's faithful. And what he's ultimately saying is, guys, you've got to remember this. It's not you that fights the fight, it's God that fights for us. Remember the work of God. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember, he says, the, the work of God in verse three, that God brought us into the land in verse four, that God is faithful in verse five. So the focus is on God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's strength. God is the one that never fails. Ultimately, this is what he's saying. Victory absolutely requires that you look at God and not at your enemy. Every day, we've got to remind ourselves of this reality because every day, even as I invite you down and pray for you, every day we're overwhelmed with problems and challenges and difficulties and those challenges and those difficulties in life can so consume us that that's all we see. And we cry out to God 
while looking at our challenges. And Joshua says, look, there's an enemy out there. I know that. And there's a fortified city. The city is stronger than you. The problems you confront are bigger than you. You cannot overcome them in your power and strength. There's not enough wisdom that you have collected through the years to enable you to, 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 to successfully navigate the challenges of your life. So it is imperative that you remember that your focus is to be on God, not on the problem. And so we come and say, God, here's Jericho before us. We're going to walk around it seven times, and I am up close and personal, and I see that it is impossible, and God brings us to the impossibility of the task so that he can remind us that it's not you that's going to do this, it's me. The challenges that you're facing every day are not there to defeat you, but to remind you that there is one stronger, that there is one wiser, that there is one more faithful to sustain us in the challenges that we encounter in life. So in a practical sense, what does it look like for me to focus on God and not my problems? You know, it just brings us back to this same simple thing. I'm almost, you know, as I look at it, it's almost, this is the temptation that I'm, I'm saying as I preach these messages that I'll come back and look at it again and say, but I've said this every week, every week, every week, and it's going to be that people are going to think, well, you know what, pastor is not even studying anymore because he's just giving us the same thing over and over and over again. But here's the practical application. The way you focus on God and not your problem is through prayer. Is that we become a people of prayer. And the first thing that happens when life knocks the breath out of us is that we go to him in prayer. The first thing that happens when when, when the props are knocked out from under us, when we're facing challenges that are bigger than we are, the first thing we do is say, God, I need you. This is a wall that I cannot break down. These are gates that are impenetrable in my power and in my strength. And God, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do in this situation. So the only thing I know to do is to come to you. And I want to run to you. I want to give you the problem that I'm struggling with today. God, here it is. And there are many of you that are in this room today that you just need to come to God and say, God, here's my problem. And I just need wisdom. And I need grace and I need strength. I can't do this. And, and over and over, Joshua was saying, guys, this is how I did it. In the very beginning, God said to Joshua over and over again, be strong, be courageous. Joshua, when you look at the enemy, you're going to feel weak need. You're going to feel like you, you cannot overcome. You're going to feel like you are not capable. You're going to feel like you are defeated. Be strong and courageous. How do I do that? By focusing on me. You look at me. And when you look at God, everything else becomes relative. And the question that we have to ask is this, is God not big enough to sustain you in the challenges you face? Are the problems that you are walking through right now, are they really bigger than God? How big is God? How strong is God? 
How powerful is God? So bring those problems to him. The focus of our attention is to be on him. That's what Joshua's learned. That's why we find a warning all through the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, you got a warning. Do not forget God. Over and over before the people ever come into the land, God said, let me tell you, the number one problem you're going to have is you're going to forget God. You're going to come into a land. You're going to drink water from wells you didn't dig. You're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You are going to take and pick grapes from vineyards that you did not tend. And in that moment of ease, you're going to forget God. And the moment you forget God, Life will spiral out of control and one problem will lead to another and every problem gets bigger and bigger and we are sucked into the vortex. And he says, do not forget God. Pray. So we begin our day praying, God, I need you. I need you. Secondly, it's not surprising that next Joshua says, Hey, in verse 6 down through verse 13, focus on God's word. This is what I've learned, guys. Joshua's at the end of his days. He's saying, hey, you've got to pick up the mantle. You've got to take over. If you're going to take over, listen, I want you to look back over your shoulder. Has God not kept any promise? He's kept them all, right? He has been faithful every time. Everything God said he's going to do, he's going to do. So this is what I'm telling you to do. Don't you lose sight of God. This is how I led you. We pray, and then you got to stay in the Word, close to the Word of God. It, it, It reminds me of what God says to Joshua all the way back at the very beginning. When God commissions him in chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, God says to Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Isn't it interesting that he comes to the end of his life and he says to the people the exact same thing that God says to him? Don't depart from the word to the right or to the left. You possess the secret and and I I think ultimately for us today, you've got the answer to every question you're asking right here. And yet we continue to pray, God, give me an answer. God says, I've already given it to you. Get in the word. In the six, begin with verse six all the way down through verse verse 13 in these seven verses. He kind of teaches us the result of staying in the word. In verse six, he tells us that we are to get in the word and walk in obedience. Keep and do all that is written in the book of the law. Just as God told him, Joshua, you've got to stay in the word and you've got to do what I tell you to do because it is my word that will guide you and direct you. And if you do what I tell you to do, listen, you're going to have success. The, the reason God gives us his word is not so that he can, he, he can control our life. 
he gives us his word and he gives us commands and he gives us promises. He gives his word that we might know this is the path to victory. Do this, Carol, and you'll be successful. This is the way. So I come to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, do this. Well, I know the Bible says do this, but I'm praying that God will give me some new revelation. I'm praying for some new direction. And God says, no, I've already told you, do this. Stay in the word, walk in obedience. Be careful not just to read it, but to do it. To bring your life in line with scripture. And you know, it's amazing to me, even as I say this, because I don't know if it's because it's so simple that we're looking for something else. But it's almost like when we hear a message that says, okay, if you just pray and stay in the word, it's almost like, but, but I, I know that. Give me something new. I know that. I want to discover some great new truth. And Joshua says, I want to tell you something, guys. It is through prayer and staying in the word and committed to the word and living out the word that, that you walk in victory. And it's like I told you last week, we have a tendency to be like one of the tribes of Israel. We, we have a tendency to, to want preferential treatment, right? In other words, what we say is this, I want to walk in victory, but I don't want to have a prayer life. I want to walk in victory, but I'm not going to study the Bible. And you're not studying the Bible. You're not praying. You're not spending time. You've not disciplined yourself in those areas, and you're still asking God to bless you anyway. What you're saying is, I know you've told me if I do this, I'm blessed. I don't want to do that. I want to do this, and I want you to bless this. And God says, no. In those verses, he says, staying in the word. What does that look like? Well, it looks like I discover things that I need to be doing that I'm not doing. And I confess that and say, God, I need to put this in my life. Or there's some things in my life that are not supposed to be there. I just read about that. And, and God, you've, you've kind of put your finger on that. And, and I'm going to stop. And I'm going I'm to live according to you. But in this, he, he goes on in verse 7, he talks about worship. Staying in the word really allows us to focus our attention on, on who God really is. Don't be influenced by foreigners and their gods and, and be led astray. Make sure that as you stay in the word of God, your worship is of God, not any other. He's first. It's in the word that we are able to keep God first. In verse 8 through 10, he tells us to be devoted, to hold fast to what God has said. We kind of looked at those verses not long ago and, and, and we discovered in that passage of scripture that, that Joshua was ultimately saying in this text that, that we are not to stray away from what God is doing in our life. We are to hold fast as he tells us in this text. He tells us in verse 11 to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind. We are to love the Lord. It's interesting that your love for God is connected to the word of God. He's talking about 
spending time in God's word, not departing from it to the right or to the left. He's talking about walking in obedience when he says that we are to love God because the evidence of our love for God is what? Obedience. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples because you do what I say. That's how they know. They don't know you're my disciples because you go to church. They don't know because of what you say. They know because of what you do. You, you, you live like I have called you to live. And in verse 12 down through verse 13, he, he really focuses on that holiness that God calls us to. Because it's in verse 12 and 13 that he talks to them about his concern for their inner marriage. Don't you drive the enemy out. Don't, don't build relationships with the enemy. You're going to intermarry. Don't intermarry. Now, I want you to understand something. Joshua was not saying, I don't want intermarriage to happen. That wasn't a racial deal. That's not a racial thing. I mean, Moses took a foreign wife. Uh, Rahab was a foreigner that came in and was absorbed into the nation of Israel. This isn't a racial deal that God is saying, that you don't marry that other race. He, he is not pointing out ethnic differences. He's simply saying there's a spiritual dynamic here. We've looked at it before. What does Paul say in the New Testament? He looks at it this way and says, don't become unequally yoked. He said, for a person who is a believer, you shouldn't marry a person that's not a believer. You remember we talked about that. It almost sounds cruel. Why would God say that, you know? And I, my boyfriend doesn't know the Lord, but I'm, I'm the only thing that m may be between him and him accepting Christ. And, and why would God tell me to do that? I've, I've explained it to you, but I think you've forgotten. So remember, I've told you, God... God Every rule God gives us for relationships are good rules. God is good at relationships, and he understands the dynamic, and this is what he says. For a believer and an unbeliever, there's something so different that it can't be reconciled. For a believer, there's nothing more important to us than our relationship with God. That, that's the most important thing in our life. So this is what God's saying. How in the world can you have a relationship with a person? How can the most important person in your life, in the relationship between a husband and wife, be a person that you can't share the most important thing in your life with them? If they don't know the Lord, you can't even share with the most important person in your life the most important thing in your life. And, and there's a dynamic of the relationship that is lost. And, and so he's not, he's not talking about intermarriage in the sense of a racial thing. He's talking about a spiritual thing. These are people who are, have, have, have turned aside from God. Don't have anything to do with them. You are to live a holy, separate life. And in doing what I tell you to do, Yielding your life to the principles of the word. You're going to walk in victory. Well, the final thing that he offers is this. Guys, this is what you've got to do. And we'll pass the torch. Don't forget God's way. You, you remember God's faithfulness. And you've got to focus on him, not your problems. Remember God's word. Don't 
let God's word depart from your life. You have, it is vital that you spend time in God's word. It is vital that you spend time in prayer. And then the third thing he tells us is this. He said, not only is it God's way and God's word, it's also God's will. In verses 14 down through verse 16, he draws this contrast and he establishes really a path of obedience and blessing and a path that leads to a curse. And he ultimately says this. If you do what I'm telling you to do and you do what I've done, and you focus on God every time you confront a challenge, and you live your life based on the principles of the Word of God, and you are so saturated with the Word that it governs your actions, you will be on a path of blessing. But if you don't, you're gonna be on a path of curse. And there's only two paths. The path of a blessing and the path of a curse. You do what God tells you to do and live according to the principles that he's given and he promises us victory or you turn in rebellion against him and will face his wrath. You will know the good land. That's a common phrase that is used there that God is always good and right or that good land will be taken from you if you try to do it your way. It, it really is saying it's either God's way or, or your, your way. God's way is victory every day. Your way is defeat. Now when we say victory, I've gotta tell you this, God's view of victory and ours is a little different perhaps. In the world that we live in today, victory, I guess you could really say that victory can be summarized in two things. There are only two things that people pursue today in victory, and that is health and wealth. But the amazing thing about the world's view of victory as health and wealth is that neither one of those two are attainable. They're both fleeting, aren't they? You'll never meet a rich person who has enough. How much is enough? Do you make enough right now? No, we all, we never make enough. We always, but, but there, there's no satisfaction to the world's definition of victory. You'll never get there. Well, what about health? Health for us looks like a young person, right? So we spend millions of dollars every year trying to look like a young person, trying to feel like a young person. We're looking for that I mean, constantly looking for that fountain of youth. And guess what? You just get older and older and older every day. And your health declines every day. And there's not a thing you can do about it. And it doesn't make any difference how much money you got. Because success by the world standards isn't achievable. But God says, you know what? What I want to give you is peace. What I want to give you is contentment. I want you to live this world, in this world with contentment and peace and I'm, I'm good and life is good and God is good and I give myself to something bigger than me so that I receive the torch and I pass the torch 
to the next generation. Victory is our new normal. If we never forget God's way, God, if we never depart from God's word, and if we forever live our life according to his will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today. An opportunity to see once again these same principles over and over and over and over again. And maybe the reason that we keep seeing it over and over and over again is because we're not doing it. We got all kinds of excuses and reasons and we just keep coming with reasons as to why we can't spend time in prayer, why we can't focus on you instead of our problems, how our problems are different than everybody else's in the world. And, 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 and you know, we never know victory because we are just so overwhelmed. Give us the grace and strength to see you. Father, open your word to us and let it come alive that we can walk in obedience to what it says and live as you have called us to live, separated to you, holy and, and, and excited in love with you for what you are to us. And help us, Father, to always, always yield our desire to your will to live as you've called us to. And when we do that, we will walk in victory today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. 